Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Ephesians. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we approach your word in our continued study of Ephesians, we just pray that you'll open up our hearts and minds to your truth this morning, that we would embrace it and apply it into our lives, that you'd continue to sanctify us through the indwelling of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hopefully answered a question for you last week, and that question was, who chooses? Is it us choosing God or God choosing us, and I preach through the biblical points that God chooses us, we do not choose Him. And He didn't choose us because He looked down the halls of time and knew that we were going to choose Him. He chose us in spite of ourselves. He did not give us just enough righteousness so that we could recognize that we needed God. He chose us out of darkness into the light. Now, when you think about choosing, we choose for a purpose, don't we? We choose for a purpose. You know, my dad always said that I could not walk and chew gum at the same time. And there was a lot of truth to that. And I remember as a kid... In sixth grade PE, in playing dodgeball, and we would choose up sides, and I was always the last kid to be chosen. Because people knew that if you were going to pick me, normally you were going to lose. So they did not want to choose me. There was a purpose in choosing. You wanted to choose players, and there's discrimination in choosing We don't understand that in relationship to God, but we do know that God chooses for a purpose. And we're going to talk about this morning, why did he choose us? It wasn't a lottery system, if you will. It wasn't random. We'll know more about that when we get to heaven. But in spite of us, he chose us, but there is a purpose in him choosing And if you take the view that God chooses us just so that we can go to heaven, and unfortunately that's a predominant view today. If you ask people, what's salvation about? People would say, so salvation's about heaven. In other words, they look at Christ as their currency, right? I've mentioned that before. Christ is their currency. And there's a large number of Christians, unfortunately, that take this view that Christ is their currency. That Christ is their entrance into heaven, that he's nothing more. But the real answer of why Christ chose us is in our focal passage in Ephesians 1. I'm going to read 3 through 6 as been my habit, but our answer is in verse 4, and that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us 
to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So what is the purpose of salvation? Is it just heaven only? Is salvation only so that we can escape the flames of hell, or is there something more to it? And you see the answer in verse 4. It says that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That, that's the purpose, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You notice it didn't say that he chose us so that we can go to heaven. That's a complete wrong answer about what salvation is about. He chose us that we should be holy and without blame. Therefore, Jesus isn't just our currency. Jesus transforms us. He regenerates us. And this is what it says. It says that he chose us that we should be holy and without blame. Now, if you have the idea that Jesus is your currency... It's really convenient, isn't it? If Jesus is just your currency. You can pick up the currency and you can put it down any time that you want. You can leave Jesus in the car as you go into the bar. You can leave Jesus in the other room when you're doing something inappropriate or looking at something inappropriate on your phone or your computer. You can leave Jesus at home when you go to the party that doesn't glorify Christ. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that this is how they view their salvation. I can be religious when I want to be religious, and I can live another life when I want to, and this isn't the appropriate view of salvation. It diminishes the real view of salvation that Jesus Christ gave his life for us on the cross. And he called us out of darkness into light so that he could regenerate us. And we are a new creature in Christ Jesus. We're new. The old ways are gone. We're new. He's not our currency. He is our king. Jesus is our king. Now, this idea that we are called out, if you remember, that's the original language in chosen. We're called out. And we're called out, we're chosen, so that we might be holy and without blame. I read from John 17 last week. I want to do it again this week. If you look at verse 13 through 19, these are the words of Jesus before he faces the cross. And he's praying to the Father. And he goes, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth as you have sent me into the world. I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify them myself that they may be sanctified by the truth. 
I believe in what Martin Lloyd-Jones says regarding justification and sanctification. He goes, they should never be separated. I mean, we teach it doctrinally as separation, justification, sanctification, and then glorification. But my friends, sanctification is not a choice. In other words, your pursuit of holiness. It is not a choice. It is an aspect of your salvation. And why are we not of the world? Because he has called us, he has chosen us out of the world. We've come out of darkness. We've come into the light so that we might be holy. That we may pursue God. That we have the Holy Spirit inside of us sanctifying us. The writer of Hebrews says the same thing in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 Referring to Christ, it says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, again referring to Christ, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through their sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. In other words, he calls us into holiness and he's not ashamed of us because he has regenerated us and he is transforming us and he has sanctified us and we are moving along in holiness. It is part of our salvation. And he's not ashamed of us. When Kathy and I first got married, we went on our honeymoon. We met a young couple on our honeymoon and they were super nice. And he asked what I did and he said, well, I might be interested in doing that one day. And so... Oh, I guess about six or nine months later, I got this phone call and he said, Hey, I'm just so happened to be in Houston. Do y'all have any job openings? And I said, well, perhaps I'll arrange for you to meet my boss and, and there'll be an interview. Now, granted, that was nearly 40 years ago. And if you think about office life 40 years ago, it was very formal. I mean, always a suit and a tie. Casual Friday eventually became, in my office, my first office, is that you could lose the tie on Friday. But it was always suit and tie. And so he said, meet me at the airport. And so I went and I met him at the airport and was ready to introduce him to my boss. And him and his wife stepped off the plane and he was in shorts and flip-flops. And I thought, okay, well, maybe he's going to change on the way. And I had really built this guy up. We went down and got their luggage. We're on the way. And I said, well, are you going to stop and put your suit on? And he said, oh, I didn't bring a suit. You know, I'm on vacation. So brought him into the office, took him into my boss's office. And of course, my boss just happens to be staring at his flip-flops the entire time I'm introducing him. Needless to say, I wasn't really proud to make the introduction. Christ changes that for us before a holy and righteous God. All of your past, all of your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus and you are accepted before a holy father. 
not out of our works of righteousness, not out of our striving, not out of our morality, only by the blood of Christ. And when you think about it in those terms, it's natural to think if I am positionally holy through justification, it's just logical that he's changing us and transforming us so that we will pursue holiness, that he makes us holy. And in fact, holiness is not an option. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, Peter wrote, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. That's the Christian life. That's salvation. It is for us to pursue holiness. And if one doesn't pursue holiness, one doesn't know the Lord. You don't hear that a lot in pulpits anymore. But the verse on that is 1 John 2. 1 John 2, verse 3. It says, now by this we know that we know Him. By this we know that we know Him. In other words, how can I have assurance of my salvation? That's what we're talking about here. Now by this we know that we know Him. For... If we keep His commandments, now by this we know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. It's the same as Jesus told us in the Gospel of John, that a believer bears fruit. It's a sign. We have that phrase we use, no fruit, no root. We Pursue holiness. It's a sign of us knowing God. Have you ever met someone who said, I walked the aisle or I did this 30 or 40 years ago and they've never shown up at the church house door ever since and they don't read their Bible and they don't pray and they're hanging their whole eternal life on an act that they did in the 70s or the 80s, but none of their life has shown that they know the Lord Jesus Christ. This verse is for them. We are to be holy and we know that we are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ if we pursue the things of God because God transforms us and we lose the thirst for the world and we receive a thirst for God and the things of God and the teachings of God and the truths of God. 
Hebrews 12, 14 says, Pursue peace with all people in holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's pretty clear, isn't it? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Kathy and I were sharing this with our son the other day, is that in growing up, we grew up in different churches, but there was this time where people said, don't you ever doubt. Don't you ever doubt. It's a sin to doubt your salvation. That's not biblical, by the way, because the Bible says work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. And unfortunately, when you look at this pursuit of holiness and you look at the cheap gospel that has been preached over the last 30 or 40 years, unfortunately, I think that there are a number of people who have a false assurance because they look at Jesus Christ as their currency and not the Savior who transforms them and regenerates them. We are to pursue holiness. But there's something else in our passage. It says that we should be holy and without blame. That we should be holy and without blame. In the original text, this means without blemish. That we should be without blemish or without defect. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his sermon on this passage makes an important point. He said, look at holiness as internal and positive and look at blameless as external and negative. And what does that mean in the context of being blameless or without defect? If blameless is external, it means that the world looking at us as we profess the name of Christ will not find defect. Makes sense, doesn't it? That as we proclaim that we are of Christ, can people recognize that we are a follower of Jesus Christ by how we conduct our lives? You look at a lot of polls and it says, well, why do some people not want to come to church? And of course, you have that age-old excuse, well, the church is full of hypocrites. And some of that, is, as we know, is just an excuse. But unfortunately, sometimes the lost world has a valid argument. See, we're called out. We're to be set apart. The Bible says that we're to be a peculiar people. And I would venture to say that if you determine to live your life according to the teachings and truth of Jesus Christ in the world that we live today, you are going to look peculiar. We're aliens. We're sojourners. We're to be different. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. And we can proclaim our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. But our action should also reflect that. I shared this, I believe, in Wednesday night that I read the book that was written by the founder of Service Master, who's a business person, but also a very committed Christian. And he wrote in the book, he said, if you're not living it, you don't believe it. If you're not living it, you don't believe it. In other words, you're pursuing holiness, aren't you? 
And you're pursuing holiness so that it is evident to the world in which you live. People know that you're a Christian at work. People know that you're a Christian among your family. People know that you're a Christian among your neighborhood. Because you're living your life differently than the rest of the world. You're proclaiming the teachings and truth of Jesus Christ. That's why Christ said that there would be a cost. Because as we live our life according to the teachings and truths of Jesus Christ, you are more than likely going to lose some friends. People are going to feel a little uncomfortable around you. As you walk upon a conversation, that conversation may cease at that very moment. Because people should know that you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 addresses this. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's a great verse. And it deals with that idea that we are without defect. As children of God, we should be without fault in the society in which we live. And we should be an example to a lost and dying world. Before him in love. That's our next phrase. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Before him in love means in the presence of him. In the presence of him. Now let's put it all together. We're to be holy. We're to be blameless. So that we can be before God. So that we can have a relationship. And that's really what all this boils down to. Salvation isn't about a destination. Salvation is about a relationship. A relationship with God. And I'm going to challenge you to live your life with this thought. That... As you pursue holiness and righteousness, you have a relationship with God. And that is logical when you think about God as holy. So that if I'm going to have a relationship with God, that means that I am going to be holy. And that's why you just can't stop at this idea of justification because... Justification and sanctification go together because we're declared holy. But then as he sanctifies us in our life, he wants a relationship with us. And in fact, if you look throughout the Bible, you can clearly see from Old Testament all the way through New Testament that it has always been about a relationship. Think about it. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He communicated 
with Adam and Eve. If you look at Abraham, in Genesis 17, in verse 1, it reads, When Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Knowing God and the pursuit of holiness goes together. Enoch walked with God. And Christ, in the power of His cross and resurrection enables us to walk with God and pursue holiness and be without defect. And it's not out of obligation or drudgery. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. It says, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more now where there is remission of these there is no longer an offering for sin in other words when we accept the Lord Jesus Christ he makes us new and he changes us so we want the things of God we want to pursue God We have a desire to pursue God. One of the criticisms of Reformed theology is critics will say that you're just a robot, that there's no free will. I will argue that your free will begins when you accept the Lord Jesus Christ. As a slave of sin, you're going to do what sinners do and you're going to continue to commit sin. But as a redeemed person of Christ, you have a free will to pursue the things of God. And unfortunately, there are people who say, well, you know, I just don't feel God moving. Have you ever heard people say that? I just don't feel that God's moving anymore. And I'll give you my answer to that. People don't feel God move anymore because people have sin in their life that they've not addressed. And I'll give you an example in the life of David. Turn with me to Psalm 32. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. And in verse 3, David is referring to unconfessed sin in his life. And he says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the days long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. But then he goes on in verse 5 and says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. See, this idea of cheap grace in Christ as your currency and living your life however you want to, and then when you get to heaven, you'll present your token and get in. You will find yourself just as David 
and you will be living in a spiritual drought. And unfortunately, this idea of cheap grace has caused Christians to find themselves in a spiritual drought because you're not living according to the purpose in which God chose you to live. You have been chosen to pursue holiness so that you might have a relationship with God. And I can tell you from personal experience that when you commit your life to a life of holiness and pursuing God and knowing more about God and being faithful in your Bible reading, in your prayer, in your worship attendance, your life gets better because you are doing the things that God called you to do is to pursue God. What's the promise? Draw near to God and what? And He will draw near to you. It's why you were chosen. It's why we are saved. And we should commit our lives to pursue God every day. And I know you're going to experience the blessings and the joy and the peace that God has in store for you. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you for this morning. And I just pray that we would look at our salvation as a relationship. And that relationship is based upon holiness. That you called us into holiness. And that through your Holy Spirit, you are sanctifying us to live and pursue a life of holiness. So that we may dwell in your presence and experience your joy and peace. I pray, Lord, that we might proclaim your truth to a lost and dying world. I pray that people might recognize us as Christians dedicated to your truth. I pray if someone's listening that doesn't know you, that they would turn their life over to you. That they would ask for forgiveness and ask Christ into their heart and repent from their sins and turn to you. Lord, we give you the glory and the praise in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.